This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Um, what, what we've been doing as we've been walking through Romans, and I want to recap this again because we're just starting back in, is we went through all of Romans last year, and we're going to go through all of Romans, the rest of Romans this year. The first three chapters, we talked about the depth of sin. And remember, when I talk about the depth of sin, or when we talked about the depth of sin, we're not just talking about the fleshly outdoings of sin or the things that we think of behaviorally when we think of sin. We're talking about a heart of pride that worships and serves itself and that out of that heart of pride that worships and serves itself the creation rather than creator there comes all sorts of sin and one of those sins that spent a couple chapters digging into was self-righteousness and place itself out in religious works and 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 in in pride and so there's sin that is rooted in pride that both place itself out in rebellion and then in religion and then we dove into the depths of the gospel and we spent much time talking about although there is all of this sin there is this powerful truth that we have been justified which is a legal term that says we have been made right before God legally that we owed a debt but because of the work of Jesus that debt has been paid that he has provided for us redemption and that is a marketplace term that that basically we were slaves and we have been purchased by the rich and glorious king who who loves us and has purchased our freedom and then talked about propitiation which is a religious term which means that there needed to be a sacrifice that needed to be made on our behalf because of all of our sins and and there needed to be a a a a lamb that would have all the sins be put upon him so that that sacrifice could be made and Jesus provided all of that and the gospel shouts forth this glorious good news that we are made right, that we are redeemed, the debt has been paid, that we are right before God because of His work. And how does that happen as we dove into the depths of faith? It's by us putting our trust in God, not twisted faith that thinks it's about me naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it and giving a seed to meet my greed. That's, that's not what faith is. Faith is about completely trusting in God. Putting your full weights of trust upon Him. Following Him, worshiping Him, serving Him. Then we dove into the depths of union with Christ. And I, I, I said this last week, but I'll keep saying it. It's so rich that I've been carrying that study out in my own life and reading a lot of books because I've been learning a lot about what it means to be in union with Christ. And, and, and I'm reading one book that talks about how the reformers of old have been classified as talking about just justification. That they were talking about this kind of legal, sterile term. But what this book shows is that over and over again, they were actually talking about union with Christ. And that coming into a full relationship that I am in Christ and He is in me. And what does that provide? That provides a depth of freedom that we could never experience a depth of freedom we could never experience and we talked about freedom from the law freedom from the law freedom from striving to try to be right before God last week on the heels of that as we started up our series again we talked about there is no 
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Before we read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, I want, I want to show you that there are two responses to this gospel. Uh, one is that we try to prove ourselves and we try to work to pay back the debt that we owe to God. And ultimately, we want to pay Him back so that He will owe us a debt. <laughs> there are many people who are still living their lives trying to pay back the debt of forgiveness that God has given. There's something in us that doesn't like being given anything for free except for when it comes to something we can't afford, right? Then we're going, man, could you cut it down a little bit or can you put it on my credit card and I'll pay you back later? And we keep ringing up these debts thinking that we will be able to pay it off. We don't want a handout, but we do want everything. And the reality of what we have in Christ is there are many of us who are still operating in that way that we're trying to pay God back and prove to Him that we deserve this gift of salvation. Can I tell you this? You make the cross pointless if you're trying to pay back a gift that has been given to you out of the riches of the work of Jesus. You're trampling on the work of the cross, the spirit of grace. You're, you're trampling on that. And that's what Romans chapter 8, we talked about this last week, verse 1 tramples on this. When he says there's no condemnation, it destroys this idea that I've got to prove myself to God. Huh. You do not have anything to prove to God and this is true because you cannot pay the debt and when that I have something to prove is taken off then we understand that God did all that he did for us here on this because he loves you and he's providing for you he did not do this to try to make you pay him back I wish I could talk more about that because no matter how much I spent last week diving into that, I still believe many of y'all don't get it. You don't get it. Go back and listen to what we talked about last week. I'll tell you the reason why I know you don't get it is because I'm still, I still wrestle with this. I don't get it sometimes. This is foundation of I don't have to prove myself to God that's freedom I'm freedom from trying to work off a debt that I could never pay back and here's the other way people respond when they hear the message of grace when they hear the truth of the gospel they rebel against the life of God believing that grace means we can live life lawless by our own strength so there are many people who think that what Jesus did is set an example for us on how we should live, but, hear me on this, we'll never be able to do it. So what grace means is that Jesus did it, and we'll never be able to do it, and I'm only human, so I just now, because of grace, can live my life however I want. And they use grace as a excuse if you will or a license if you will to just live outside of God's rule and reign 
and do whatever they want. And the reason why is because they realized I cannot pay back God. So what God must have been doing is just saying, here's Jesus. Look at the example. Look at how he lived his life. You will never be able to do it. And here's, here's the mentality that's, that's deep inside of us. My mom, incredible. If you've never met her, she's cute. She's cute. She's short. She's cute. She's, she's cute. She's amazing. My mom is an incredible piano player. Now, she had six boys, and she tried with all of her little might and strength that she could muster up in that cute little body to try to teach us as boys how to play the piano. And, and some of our brothers obviously got some of the skills, but there was one son who could not understand. And, and this is, this is a, a dark area in my life, okay? I'm sharing with you deep, dark areas in my heart today. She would sit me down and, and say, do this, Aaron. And she'd be like, you know, and then I would try. And then it would end up in emotional kind of crying. And she would be yelling at me and spanking me. Now, I might have made that up, but I'm not sure. I just remember rulers on my hand. And I'm probably making that up. But uh and just yelling at me, and I'm yelling back, and I can't do it. And she'd be like, just do this. And I'd be like, I can't do it. Just do this. And we'd try, and we'd try. And after a while, my mom just said, you know what? I'm not going to teach you anymore. It's done. You're hopeless. I mean, you're not going to play the piano. <laughs> Plus, I don't like who I become when, when I teach you things. <laughs> you bring the worst out of me, Aaron. It's horrible. And so what ended up happening was just stopped. And I was happy at the time. But now, because I can't play the piano, and whenever I sit down, I have aspirations of just doing fancy things, I get angry at her. You should have pushed me harder. It's your fault I can't play the piano. The reality is, as we would go back and forth, my mom is so good at the piano, she would say, just do this. You know, have you ever had somebody try to teach you something that you can't do? If you don't know how to dance and you see somebody up there just, just throwing it around and, and doing the whole thing and just say, just do this. You know, they're doing all the moves and you're trying. You're like, no, just do this. And you're like, I can't do it no matter how many times you keep doing it. I can't. I'm the same way. Don't, keep, don't teach me choreography, but if you just get the beat going, I can feel it and I'll dip into it. You know what I'm saying? Then you can't stop what the music does to this body, but, but don't teach me choreography. But the reality is, is no matter how often you keep showing me, as an example, no matter how many times we cry and yell and fight, no matter how much it happens, and I remember my mom having her star student come over. Her name was Megan. She would come over. My mom would teach her, and she was just, she would do everything my mom did, and then my mom would be like, oh, Megan's just so good at the piano. And I'd sit in the other room and just get mad at Megan. The only way, I don't care how many lessons I took, the only way that this was going to happen is if she quit, would quit teaching me and setting an example and 
unzip my body and get inside of me and do it for me. That was the only way that this was going to be able to be accomplished. And the reality is, when you look at Jesus as just a pure example, then all you do is look at Jesus and go, I can't do that. Or you look at other people and go, Megan. <laughs> oh, the star student. Why? Because you look at the gospel as an example that leaves you far. And so you say, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I can't be Jesus. The truth of the gospel is not that Jesus set an example for us. It's that he unzipped us and got inside of us by the Spirit and is living his life through us. Everything that the law tried to teach us, that union with the Lord is not that he just saves us from the wrath of God and restores us to his favor, but that he opens us up to a new and hopeful arrangement of living. The law could not only show us who God was. The law would only say, this is who God is. But the law could not get inside of us and give us the character of God. So when we're trying to please God by trying to fulfill the law in our own flesh, it never can take place. That's why it's important for us to hear the words of Jesus as he speaks to his disciples where he says, abide in me and let my spirit abide in you and you will bear fruit. It's never a question of if you will bear fruit. If you are in Christ and he is in you, fruit comes. Why? Because the branch only abides doesn't produce it only produces what the life-giving vine produces through it separate from the vine the branch has no power let me read you a couple of quotes that i that i think fall in line with what we're trying to say here ray ortland says this the essence of authentic christianity is the life of god in the soul of a man a new impulse a holy vitality imparted by God himself. Yesterday, Paul Tripp, now I tell you, Paul Tripp killed it at the marriage conference, but he said this in the marriage conference, and I wrote it down, tweeted it, Facebooked it, screamed it, shouted. There was a bunch of people who weren't talking, but at that moment I was like, ah, hallelujah, I couldn't help myself. Here's what he said. God knew it was not enough to just forgive me, so he unzipped me and got inside of me by the Spirit. How powerful is that? The truth of the gospel is that we can't do it in our flesh. But he doesn't just leave us in our flesh. That the resurrected Savior who came to pay the price, to pay the debt, to do all that he could to justify us, to make us right, we are now in union with him. And what is true about Jesus is true about me. And not only, hear me on this, are we in him. He is in us, living his life through us. Now, with all of that in mind, could we stand together? And read Romans chapter 8. We're going to read this quickly and I'm going to make a few points. 
And what you're going to see here is last week we talked about no condemnation. And this week we're going to talk about something that's, that rips at our soul. It shows us what it truly means to be in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's where I want you to start listening here. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. You hear that? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Lord, these are your words. Let us remember that this is not just me speaking, that this is your word. The reason we stand is so that we think and know and set our bodies in the place to remember, to hear, to listen. This is your word. God, speak to our hearts. Open our ears. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. We just talked about God by His Spirit getting inside of us and that the law has been crushed. We talked about that last week. This week... Starting in verse 5, what you see take place is Paul showing us that life in Christ is not lawless. Life in Christ and life in the Spirit is when people have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, What we have to understand is we see that people who set their mind on the flesh live this way and people who set their mind on the spirit live this way. What we have to understand why when he uses this word mind, he's not just talking about intellectual senses. So he's not just saying set your intellect or set your 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 thoughts or set that he's not just talking about that, although that plays a part in it. It's not just that. When he's talking about setting our mind, he's more talking about a mindset than an intellectual focus. He's talking about a mindset or a mentality. Sorry. Whoa. I got it. You help. There we go. Our mindset, our whole mentality what we dwell upon, the tilt of our likes and dislikes, what we respect and what we admire, what we want out of life and what we aspire after. So when he's talking about setting our minds on the spirit or setting our minds on the flesh, he's not just talking about, I'm going to think harder. I'm going to be intellectual. 
He's talking about a mindset. He's talking about a mentality. He's talking about what you dwell upon and, and what you like and what you dislike, what you respect and what you admire. What do you want out of life? I want you to read this next quote, and I think this will give a huge understanding. Commentary says this, A fleshly person is a person whose whole orientation to life is centered on earthly things, offering earthly payoffs. And a spiritual man is the person whose whole orientation to life is centered on spiritual things, promising heavenly payoffs. Here's what we do in Christianity, in modern Christianity is we give three categories to Christianity in modern Christianity. We have what we call non-Christians or unbelievers or lost people. And then we have a second category that we kind of call normal or nominal Christians or just professing Christ Christians. These are people who are Christians, but they're just kind of normal, everyday, average Joe Christians. They say they're Christians but they're not really that committed. But they're Christians, we think, we hope. Cross your fingers. But they're Christians. They've said the prayer. They came down the aisle. They come to church once in a while. And all of the reasons by which we give them Christianity is because maybe they give once in a while, throw a few bucks to Jesus. Maybe. They come to service when they're in hard times, they get prayer. They've professed Christ. They've said the prayer. They look back at the time they were baptized. They point to all the outward things that they have done. And then we have a whole other category in Christianity that says that's a spiritual Christian. You know, it would be nice to be that, but they're just, oh man, they're freak shows, you know. They're always thinking about Jesus. They're always worshiping Jesus. They're always there. They're committed. They're going. I mean, they're just living their life oriented around Jesus. I just can't do that. I'm just the normal guy, you know? They're the ones following Christ, and it's showing, and they're living their lives in that. And we've made these three categories, and so that we can idolize those who are spiritual and When we idolize those who are spiritual, do you know what we're doing? We're also excusing ourselves from living a life for Christ. Because when it's good for them, and that's just how they live their lives, and that's just spiritual, they're just great, great, and then that's nice, but not for me. Then what we do is excuse ourselves. The reason why we've made extra categories is so that we can make it a lot cleaner, But what Paul does here, after he just says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For those who are not in Christ, there is condemnation. But the only reason that we are have no condemnation is for those who are in Christ. And so now what he's showing here is that Christianity, biblical categories show that there are two categories, not three. There's one who orients their whole life around the flesh and there's ones who set their whole lives around the spirit. That's two. I don't see the third. That the normal 
average, everyday Christian falls into that category. There's not super spiritual, less spiritual. There are those who set their lives and their minds and their hearts and their affections and their payoffs and their rewards. Everything has to do with now. So how can that fall into religious categories? Well, there are many of us, if we are honest, who are here not because we're orienting our lives around the Spirit and doing this as an expression of love towards God, but we're doing this because we want something else and we think God can give it to us. This becomes a peace by which we have to put in that place, that little religious peace, in order to get to something else. What he's showing us here is that living life in Christ, he must be the center. He must be first. He must be what we orient everything around. Our jobs, our money, our lives, our families, everything is oriented around him and his spirit or... It's the flesh. He will never take an outward peripheral position as you orient your life around something else. He is either the center by the Spirit or you're fleshly. Show me where we find in Scripture this idea of nominal Christianity versus spiritual Christianity. But the reality is what we see is Those who have had His Spirit breathed in them have this new mindset, this new heart. It's not something that we're trying to obtain. It's something that is within us by His Spirit. Now hear me on this because we only have a few minutes to dive into this. Last week you're like, Pastor, you just told me there's no condemnation and I walked out feeling so free and right now I'm feeling really condemned. No, I hope you're feeling convicted, which is different than condemned. Because the Spirit of God does convict us. He does not condemn us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let me ask you this question. What does it look like? How do you set your mind on the Spirit? How do you have a mindset of the Spirit? Well, first of all, we talked about the Gospel. We talked about all this. This is not just a checklist, but I want you to hear this because you want me to go, tell me five things I can do to orient my life around the Spirit. Let me just give you an example on this. You never have to train a musician on how to orient their life around music. You don't. They do it. Why? Because it's the center of their life. Everything is oriented around it. You never have to train an artist how to orient their life around art. Why? Because their minds are set on it. They have a mindset for it. They respect it. They love it. They study it. They, they, They think about it. They gather in communities that inspire them to it. They give their money towards it. You never have to teach an artist. You never have to teach an entrepreneur how to set their mind on business. Why? Because they think about it every night and day. They spread their wings and fly away. I don't know why that just came into my mind, but they believe it. That's all. They they go to bed thinking about it. They, They spend their lives thinking about it. It's all that they think about. Their whole life is oriented around it. 
They can sell other people principles on how to make money quick, but the reality is they can't give people a mindset of an entrepreneur. They can only teach rules. So you have a bunch of people who don't have a mindset buying resources to learn how to do something when what they really need is a a new spirit, a new heart, a mindset. You never have to teach a sports player or a sports fan how to orient their life around it. Everything they do, they spend their money on the jerseys. They buy everything that's there. They, they do what they do. They spend their money on sports. Their kids do all of that. They talk about it every day. They practice every night. They take their kids and their family out to gatherings to talk about it. They get extra practice. It's everything that they do in their lives. You never have to teach a religious person how to orient their life around religion. That's what they do. The question now becomes, if I cannot please God, as we see in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, then the inverse of that is true. Setting our minds on the things of the Spirit will produce a life of obedience that's pleasing to God. Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, will produce a life of obedience that is pleasing to God. In Paul's theology, there is no three categories because there's only two. Either you're fleshly and your whole world revolves around the flesh or the Spirit of God dwells in within you and the Spirit that dwelt in Christ now dwells in you and your whole life is oriented around the things of the Spirit. How you work how you play, how you live, how you spend your money, how you think, what you do as a family, what you don't do. That's why if I give you a list, go pray three times a day, read Scripture for at least 20 minutes, fast, worship, be a part of a church, serve other people, tithe, Do all of these things. Be generous. If I give that list, many of you will go, okay, I'll do that. But your heart is not set on God. But if your heart is set on God and inside of you there's this deep longing right now going, I feel conviction by the Spirit, but I want I want to live my life. I I know that battle of the flesh that we studied in Romans chapter 7. So don't get that out of your mind. There is that war between the spirit and the flesh. But deep inside of me, God's breathed his spirit into me. And so instead of saying, I can't, I can't, it costs too much, it's too hard. We go, I need to set my mind on who he is, what he's done, and the power that I now have through him. The work of the gospel is not trying to earn favor with God. And it's not about what you can do. It's about being in relationship with God. It's about your life in God and His life in you. You are His. And He is yours. As the band comes, I want you to think about this. Covenant changes the the whole orientation of your life and your living. Covenant changes 
the whole orientation of your life and of your living. Let me explain that. What we are in with God is a marriage, is a covenant. We are one with Him. He becomes the whole center of our lives and everything. There is no covenant relationship where we are fine with another being more important than us. (laughs) There is no marriage, a true biblical marriage, where we have We're okay with them loving another better than us. When I married Dana, I didn't say, I just want you to come into my world and worship the very thing that I love the most. I didn't say, hey, look, I like this other girl, but you you come along. We We can both be in relationship. No, you cut those relationships off. I didn't say, hey, look, you know, I want you, I really like work and job and all those kinds of things, and here's what I want you. I want you to come and just like it as much, as you, and you'll be second to that. I like my singleness. I like my freedom, girl. Look, you come in, and I'm going to give you what I can, but it's going to be less than everything else. Here's the reality of that. Whenever you come into covenant, it changes your whole orientation of life. How you spend your time, where you spend your thoughts, how you work, how you play, how you eat, what you do is all changed because I am one with her and she is one with me. That's why the example that we see in this life of marriage is is one that we can emulate, but one also that becomes less important when we realize that a marriage is not where we find ultimate oneness. It's only a reflection of what we find in our relationship with Christ. That's why those who have marriage at the center of their life and not as worshiping together the all-powerful, glorious creator of marriage, rather than marriage being something that is worshipped to God, it becomes something to be worshipped. It destroys our lives. It's setting our minds on the things of the flesh. God is in covenant with us. He paid the price for us. He legally has bound himself to us. He's paid every debt. He's brought us into oneness with him. And he's placed his spirit within us. And what that means is all of our lives are now oriented around him. So much of what we do when we talk about covenant, so much of what we do is this. We come into this room and we bemoan all of the things that we're losing by being in relationship with Christ. We bemoan it. And we set our minds on the things of the flesh. Man, if I really, if I really do give as God's told me to give, if you're telling me that I have to tithe, I'll do it. But man, do you realize I'm not going to be able to do this? I'm not going to be able to do that. If you tell me to pray, I'm just busy. Do you realize what I'll have to stop to actually pray and read my Bible? It's like pulling teeth when you tell people, live in community. I'm busy. I can't live in community. I can't be around people, man. They're holding me back. Do you realize fasting? Are you serious? I have to eat. Why? 
Because I, I got to work. Okay? Prayer? Busy. Reading? I'm busy. I'm busy. I just got all these things. Listen, I'll try to come to service. Don't expect me to, to give to the community. I'll do with my money what I want to do. Don't expect me to read. Don't, don't expect me to, to, to study. Don't expect me to think about it. Don't expect me to be in community. Listen, I'm living my life. You're living yours. But the reality is, what God's showing us is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because you have nothing to prove. God's paid the price completely. But He's also placed His Spirit deep inside of you. And those who are in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You know what that means? You orient your life towards those things. And you know what it says? And We just read, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit, there's life and peace. Those who set their minds on the things of the flesh is death. That means, even if the flesh fights against it, how many of you know that the flesh fights again when we start to orient our lives towards the things of the Spirit? When we start setting our minds towards love and joy and disciplines and, and the life in God, when we start setting our minds towards committing to community, when we start setting our hearts and minds towards being generous, when we start setting our hearts and minds towards hearing His Word and feeding off His Word, when we start setting our minds towards prayer, everything in our flesh starts to come against those things. Everything starts to come against it. But listen, we've got to remember. We've got to remember, I'm not just doing these things to prove myself to God. I love Him. His Spirit dwells within me. He's forgiven me. He's brought me into relationship within he loves me he's poured his spirit into me i don't have to live under condemnation i have nothing to prove but i want to express my love and adoration and i want to grow in him i want to grow in his spirit i want to live a life that lives in line i want that it's not something that somebody's pulling to i want that his spirit lives in you he's he's not just saying do this He's saying, I'm in you. When you set your mind on those things, His grace comes and empowers those things. And then we know it's not me who did it because my flesh does not want that. It's God's Spirit that's doing it in and through me. Church, this is what we're doing when we're gathering. This is what we're doing when we're taking communion. This is what we're doing when we're praying. This is what we're doing when we're singing. This is what we're doing when we're listening to God's Word. This is what you're doing when you're at work being faithful on your workplace. This is what you're doing when you're gathering community and telling others about Jesus. This is what you're doing when you're serving people and sitting with people. This is what you're doing when you're gathering with your family and laughing and studying God's Word. And this is what you're doing when you're going through hard times and pain and you lift up your eyes towards Christ. What you are doing is setting your mind mind and your life and you're orienting everything about who you are around the person and work of the gospel you don't leave anything out you don't leave your time out you don't leave your money out you don't leave your your mind out you don't leave your soul out you don't leave nothing out it's all his empowered by his spirit today as we sing we're not setting our minds on, okay, I've got to start doing these things. Everything in you starts going, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Okay, I've got to start going to community. I've start, got to start doing this, I've got to start doing this. No, 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 listen to me. Right now, let's lift up our eyes to the work He's done in us. 
Let's cry out for His work to be stirred in us, His Spirit to be in us, and that we, that we adore and worship Him, that we come to these tables and we, we gather around it, that we begin to say, okay, now I'm going to orient. God, help me, empower me, stir me. Help me in this fight with the flesh. Let's depend on Him with everything. Why? Because in His Spirit is life and peace. We need His Spirit. We need His help. Set our minds on Him this morning. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your love. Stir in us. Stir in us as Your people today. As we end this time, let us worship You in spirit and in truth. Let no one in this room be in condemnation, but God, if there is conviction, let them turn their hearts and minds towards You that we are sinners, but by Your grace You have saved us. You've breathed into us. You've given us new life. God, we need Your Spirit today. Let this time be a time of stirring that deepest desire in us. As we see in Romans 7, there's such a battle, there's such a fight, but what we see in Romans 8 is we have a stronger spirit that's much stronger than the flesh. God, convict our hearts. Show us where we're not believing, where we're not orienting our lives around you. Let us repent and rejoice at the table and set our hearts and minds on you and trust in your spirit to live in us and through us.